Let's all sing it together. Then sing. you for a few minutes from the subject keys to effective living keys to effective living Hebrews is a treatise that was written to encourage people to stand their ground in faith at a very tough time in their spiritual development. Though still in its infancy, the church was suffering severe persecution from two powerful forces. Jewish orthodoxy had labeled Christians heretics and blasphemers. The Roman Empire had dismissed Christians as expendable pawns in a game of political chess, blaming them for acts of tyranny and terrorism, and making it legal to hunt Christians down and kill them. As a result, many believers were turning away from the church to escape the terror and violence. As we gather here this morning, we still face threats to our spiritual development. There are folk who come into our lives who don't really have any love for us or interest in what we are trying to accomplish. They simply want to use us for what they can get. And once they've gotten all they can, they'll drop off and move on to someone else. And since this is so, we need to be prepared to deal with these people and these situations when they arise. And the counsel from the writer of Hebrews is that we should prepare ourselves to live effectively by drawing nearer to Jesus. The more trouble we have, the closer to Jesus we ought to get. Throughout this book, the writer gives us reason after reason why we should draw nearer to Christ. In the first chapter, he tells us that angels are our ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. In the second chapter, he reminds us that Jesus has made all things subject to his authority. And because this is so, Jesus is dependable. 
In the fourth chapter, we are encouraged to draw near to Christ so that we may enter into that rest that is promised to everyone who believes his gospel and will accept him by faith. In the seventh chapter, we are told to draw near to him because he will intercede for us. But as we focus on the 11th chapter, the writer moves from telling us why we need to draw nearer to Christ to telling us how we can draw nearer to Christ. And he says that it is by faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then he begins to call the role of great men and women of faith in the past. And it's interesting when you look at that role, these were ordinary people who accomplished extraordinary things because of their faith relationship with Jesus. These were not perfect people. They often stumbled and fell, but they were able to recover because of their faith in Jesus. And my brothers and sisters, this is a source of tremendous reassurance to me. When I understand that my imperfection and my failure does not disqualify me from God's service, nor does it prohibit me from reaching my goal, which is to live for him and with him. Survey the people that the writer lists here as examples of the faith. And when you do, you'll find that they all had problems. And yet they're all mentioned in the faith honor roll. Noah got drunk. And Abraham was a liar, but they're both in the faith honor roll. Jacob was a deceiver, a liar, a user, and an abuser. Rahab was a prostitute, but both are in the faith honor roll. Samson was arrogant, and Jephthah was a fool, and David was lustful but they're all in the faith honor roll. And it serves to remind us that in Christ, we can recover from setback. In Christ, there is the promise of another chance. Without Jesus, life isn't worth living for any of us because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it's good to know that despite our shortcomings, we can still achieve our goals if we learn to draw nearer to God through our faith. In the middle of Hebrews 11, the writer shares with us how faith in Christ provides us with keys for effective living. And he does so through the life of Moses. He says, Moses had faith, 
so much faith that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be treated badly together with the people of God. He chose that instead of enjoying sin's pleasures for a short time. He suffered shame because of Christ. He thought it was of great value. He considered it better than the riches of Egypt. He was looking ahead to God's reward. Because of his faith, he left Egypt. It wasn't because he was afraid of the king's anger. He didn't let anything stop him. He saw the one who can't be seen. God was able to use Moses effectively because Moses settled some important questions in his life. They are these. Who am I? What are my choices? What's really important? And what are my goals? And in reviewing how Moses answered these questions, we see keys to our living effective lives for Christ. In answering the question, who am I? Moses teaches us that we live effectively when we know the value of being yourself. My brothers and sisters, we shouldn't try to be someone else. God made each of us for a purpose, and no one can be you except you. Moses had to deal with his identity early in his life. He was challenged with an identity crisis. In Egypt, infant Hebrew boys were condemned to die. So his mother put him in a basket and floated him down the Nile River. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter, and she raised him as her son. So he was born Hebrew, but he was raised Egyptian. And at some point, Moses had to decide, who am I? As an Egyptian, he was a prince. He had power, and he had fame, and he had fortune. Yet Moses saw his people being mistreated, and he couldn't remain silent. Moses was a man of character and integrity, and he couldn't quell his conscience. So he made a decision that cost him the next 40 years of his life. The writer of Hebrews says that for the sake of his faith in God, Moses rejected the promise of Egypt, and he identified with his Hebrew heritage. Shiloh, there's nothing more liberating than being yourself. Spiritually, we all face an identity crisis. Because Jesus says that while we are in this world, we are not of this world. And let me tell you, if you keep getting up in the morning, the world will challenge us about who we really are. 
And you need to know that sometimes being who you really are will cost you. Sometimes being who you really are will alienate you. Sometimes being who you really are will cause you to be criticized and ridiculed. But if you know who you are in Jesus, then you know that there is nothing that the world can take from you that Jesus can't make up for. The first thing that Moses had to deal with was, who am I? And then the second thing that he had to deal with was the question, what are my choices? And Moses teaches us that to live effectively, we must also live responsibly. You have to stop blaming other folks for your life. We have to stop saying, it's not my fault. We have choices to make in life. We have options. God has given us the freedom to choose what we will do and what we will become. We have to accept responsibility for the choices that we make. The Bible teaches that people who accept responsibility for their lives tend to live more effective lives. In verse 23, we see that as a baby, God chose Moses. But when Moses grew up, verse 25 says that Moses had to choose God. Church, God has chosen us. The question is, have we chosen God? We need to make that choice. And let me tell you something. You can't have it both ways. There are only two choices, pleasing God or pleasing self. One mark of spiritual maturity is when you accept responsibility for your decisions. For too many of us, it's never our fault. Somebody did something. Somebody said something that made me the way I am. Somebody made me feel a certain kind of way. And I've never been able to get over it. But a truth of life is you can't blame somebody else for the direction that your life has taken. Yes, I know that you were raised in someone's house and had to live by someone else's rules and had to behave according to someone else's values, but now the reins are in your hands. How long are you going to blame somebody else? Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. I understood like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. Well, it's time for us to put childish stuff behind us. Stop wanting to be somebody else's baby and start being God's man and God's woman. Like Moses, you have some choices to make. No matter what happened to you yesterday, you have responsibility for how you respond right now. No matter who hurt you in the past, you don't have to let yesterday's hurt determine tomorrow's destiny. You have to take responsibility 
for your own life. Our effectiveness is determined by our character, and our character is determined by the choices we make. Then a third thing Moses did was answer the question, what's really important to me? And in so doing, he clarified his values. The writer of Hebrews says, he suffered shame because of Christ. He thought it had great value. He thought it was better than riches in Egypt because he was looking to God's reward. Church, what are your values? I've discovered that if you don't determine your values, then other folk will try to do it for you. If you don't decide how you're going to spend your time, other folk will try to do it for you. If you don't decide how you're going to spend your money, God knows somebody else is going to spend it all for you. You have to determine what your values are in life. Now, let me tell you something. The world promotes three values, pleasure, possessions, and power. And all three of these are wrapped up in our loyalty to Egypt. Yet Moses walked away from it all. Through his devotion to God, Moses developed a different value system. Moses realized that there were things that were more important than power more important than possessions, more important than pleasure. Moses would not be satisfied with things that would not last. He wanted something that was substantial. The psalmist wrote, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. When you clarify your values, then you're able to say no to some things. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. And you have to decide which master you're going to serve. By saying no to the world, you're actually saying yes to God. But hear this, is not really a yes until the no takes effect. The person who tries to say yes to two things at the same time is what James calls a double-minded person. He's unusable in all of his ways. But if you're going to say yes to God, then you've got to say no to some other stuff. You've got to say no to the world's popularity. You've got to say no to the world's pleasures. You've got to say no to the world's possessions. You've got to make up your mind that it's better to live for Jesus than it is to live for anyone else. Our contentment is determined by our character, and our character is determined by our choices, and our choices are determined by our values, and our values are determined by our vision, by what we have our eyes fixed on. So let me ask you, what are your eyes fixed on? Are they fixed on Jesus? Are they fixed on the things that Jesus said was more important? Or are they fixed on the things of this world? And that leads to my final point. Moses lived effectively because he kept his eye 
on the right go. By faith, he left Egypt and he persevered because he saw the one who is invisible. Now, somebody ought to be asking, who, who's the one that's invisible? That's God. The reason why we see our obstacles so clearly is because we've taken our eyes off of God. The reason why we see our burdens so clearly is because we've taken our eyes off of God. Moses could have done that, but Moses decided that it was more important to keep his eyes fixed on God. My brothers and sisters, how do you think you're going to make it? in 2020 if all you're doing is complaining how you doing oh i'm burdened down one day gets worse than the last one. Oh, i don't know how i'm going to make it from one day to the next that's because you got your eyes fixed on the wrong thing when you fix your eyes on the lord then you can say in spite of your burden god will make a way you can say, in spite of your problem, God is my problem solver. You can say, in spite of the tears in your eyes, God is able to dry every tear. The joy of knowing God is knowing that he's able to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And here's the good news. When you fix your eyes on the Lord, when you let him be first in your life, he just keeps on making a way for you. I dare you to try it. I dare you to walk out of here with a renewed desire to serve the Lord. I dare you to stop talking about how bad things are and start talking about how good God is. God is my heart fixer. God is my burden bearer. God is my mind regulator. God is my way maker. God is joy and sorrow. God is peace and confusion. God is hope and despair. God is my everything. And because I know who he is, I know that he's able. He's able. He's able. He's able. He's able. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing anyone. My eyes are fixed on the Lord. If you want to live better, you got to start thinking better. You got to start answering the question, who am I? I'm a child of the king. What are my choices? My choice is to live for him. What are my values? My values are his values. And where are you going to keep your eyes fixed? My eyes are fixed on Jesus. Talk about me just as much as you please. The more you talk, I'm going to bend my knees. I don't worry about folk. I take folk to Jesus. I put folk in Jesus' hands. I tell Jesus they're messing with me, Lord, and I just let him make everything all right.